So I'm leaving SHOT Show Friday afternoon, and I'm walking from the counter to my gate, and I hear, hey, Frank, when you take off, eh? And I look over, and I see Harley and Andy from Inside Arms, great dudes, right, up in Canada. And, and they're like, yeah, we're waiting to take off ourselves, eh? We're going to just take off. And I'm like, yeah, how'd you enjoy the show? And, you know, Inside Arms, they make the heathen breaks, a lot of custom rifles up there. They're actually doing a lot. They're growing quite a bit. So we sat down, discussed the show a little bit. And, um, you know, going over, like, we were really kind of excited about the Mac Bro stuff and all the 22 things and, you know, just general, hey, what did you see? What did you see? But it, but it, it's funny just because, they're, you know, I'm like, hey, I got to go. And they're like, oh, take off, eh? And, and, and it's like, yeah, I got to go take off and, and stuff. And so they're like, yeah, we'll take it off later. And, and so it, it's, it's pretty cool. But who you see in SHOT Show, everybody's around. I had a really good time. Um, I got an interview here for you guys that I'm going to play. Um, one with Emil Prasilic from AMU fame and, and all that stuff. So you'll see that. And, or listen to that, rather. You're going to listen to that right now. And then we're going to do a big wrap-up, and we're going to talk about what we saw and what's going on. So I just got back on, on like I said, Friday night, and I'm kind of decompressing. It was, a, it was a crazy, blitzy week at SHOT Show, but in a very good way. Um, I, this was a much better precision rifle show than last year. It was definitely the year of the 22 or the rim fire. Um. You know, there's just so much coming out of there with the with the rimfire stuff. I mean, it's smart. It's it's a way to kind of expand this base because the average range in the U.S. is 200 yards. You know, so it's it's a way to expand the base. Um, you know, quickly, and 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 that's what's got. But I would I was gonna say cheaper, but it's not cheaper anymore. I mean, we're looking at these. You know, uh, the the the, the some of these rimfire actions are getting up into the thousand dollar zone. And I mean, in a good way, though. I mean, they're really pushing this envelope. I mean, Cutting Edge has 22 solids um, for ELR 22 shooting. There's a whole lot going on uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, precision rifle. I even spent a lot of time at the Anschutz and Walther booths talking to those guys about 22 because. They're the original cross-the-course, multi-position, 22 people based on accuracy, right? They just do it a lot closer than we do. So uh, I spent quite a bit of time talking to them, uh, you know, in, in just kind of picking their brain a little bit and saying, you know, they are the original, you know, Olympic cross-the-course kind of guys. Um, one of the things my biggest, I like, if you want to know, like, the num, you know, there's a bunch of stuff out there. Well, my, my top ones would be Manners, Really Right Stuff, Bighorn, uh, and then um, Chris Drake, Drake Associates, what is Athena. Uh, that That's catching a lot of buzz. And, and, and so, you know, if I was going to do, you know, sort of a top five, Tom Manners' new stock, the one I did a short video with the King, Robert Brantley, because we are raffling off one of these stocks on Sniper's Hide through my moderators, Tucker. They set it all up. So um, if you want to see this stock, I mean, Tom's new tunable stock is a home run. And then, um, um, you know, with the 22, Voodoo, I'm doing, you know, there was a lot with Voodoo there. Talking with Mike Bush and you heard the articles and then Paul and those guys. And there's going to be so much moving forward. Um, there's a little bit of kind of patent negotiation going on between Bighorn's Rim X 
and Voodoo because Voodoo has some patents around there. I hope they settle it to our benefit because, I mean, honestly, what, it's it's insane, man. Um, the, 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 the Bighorn Magazine and their action really kind of blew me away. But they got to get past the, you know, they got to, they got to negotiate with, with, um, with voodoo. And, and so we'll see how that goes. But I mean, really great stuff. And then the trigit, my final. So, so if we look at it, we got Tom Manners, number one, right? Really right stuff. Number two, everything they brought out from, I mean, their biggest one, they have the Phil Vallejo style tripod to deploy on the clock. They have the mount for the binoculars. Uh, you know, they, they upgraded a lot of things. So I think really right stuff nailed it. Um, and then, like I said, the 22 actions, uh, Bighorn would be my number three. I also was, I ordered a, an ultimatum. Um, I dig what uh, they're doing, the guys up there. So it, there's that and, and kind of put them together. And uh, the Trigicon Ventus, uh, definitely something to look at there. So there, there was a lot going on, and I'm going to talk probably this week with Mike about it a little bit. I don't know how much he got out of the booth, but I'm going to have a bigger, more complete wrap-up for you guys, and, and we'll break this down. But uh, to everybody I met, uh, some of the guys, I mean, there was people, you know, hey, love the podcast, walking by, give me a shout-out. Uh, Mike and those guys that were at the casino when Mark and I were playing, um, we were playing, I was actually just following Mark. I'm, I'm not a big gambler. So we, we just didn't want to kind of go out into the crowds and do all this stuff. So we had a kind of a working dinner, him and I, um, it was the last night we were going to be together talking about classes, talking about different things. And then rather than go out and just hit the, hit the bars and the parties and all that, uh, we decided to play some craps at the links where he was staying. And I hear, Hey Frank, roll it. Hey Frank. And I'm like, who's these guys? They know my name. Um, but they're podcast listeners. So Mike and those guys who were there, we had, um, uh, we had a, uh, uh, we ran into uh, some snipers and stuff, and it's funny. And and one of the snipers, his last name was Kill. And how great is that, right? So to to everybody we ran into, thank you for all that stuff. It was really good. Um, just you know, touching base and seeing everybody. I gave out a ton of patches, stickers, and things like that. Didn't didn't have a lot of opportunity to speak with Mike, so I, but I'm sure he he was the same thing because he's he's kind of anchored and focused where I'm wandering and moving really quick, and and I don't have that you know people will see me like zipping through the crowd and it's like oh shit you know so they don't stop to talk to you that way, but you you know how it goes they they do anyway um here it is without so uh I was in the Lapua Capstone booth up uh, I talked with Brian but Brian didn't. Brian wasn't available this year in the meeting. Uh, he had other meetings going on. Granted, he has applied ballistics and the burger stuff to do. But I did spend a lot of time talking to Brian. And it looks like for the 2020 Snipers Hide match in Colville, we're going to get the applied ballistics mobile unit up there to do the custom drag models with the Dopplers. Stay tuned for more information about that. Um, I know there's some notes that I got to get through emails with Amanda and their people. But I asked Brian, I said, listen, this might be a good opportunity. You know, what are you doing with your your mobile command? He's like, man, we want it on the street. I said, okay, here's an opportunity. And and so that's looking very positive right now. So June, part of the uh, Rifleman Team Challenge, you, you know, the Sniper's Hide match, you shoot as a team or you could shoot individual. Either or, you can come by yourself and, and be an individual or you can have a team and shoot together. 
But um, to offer up that custom drag model stuff for people, I think is going to be a big value-added addition to the Sniper's Hide match. Um, but then talking with Lapua Burger and those guys, what's going on, I think this is an awesome conversation with Emil Praslik and myself. Um, I wasn't talking as much. I was a little little beat from the night before. Uh, but you know how it goes. It's SHOT Show, and, and, and we're all kind of like, you know, it's party after party after party kind of thing at night. And it's like, hey, come over here. And, and and once you walk out of the place and you stop at the round bar, there's two drinks there. Then you go to dinner, there's two more drinks there. And then you go to the party after, and there's four more drinks there. So, you know, that's how kind of it goes. Even if you're not even trying, it just it still happens. Um, you know, next thing you know, it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and you're up at 7.30 to go back over to the the show. I do have a lot to talk about. I was very limited in my meetings this year, but I think there was a lot of positive to come out of it. So uh, we're just going to roll right into it, and here you go. Hey, welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and I'm at SHOT Show in the Lapua booth, Burger, Lapua, uh, Capstone, you guys' background, and I'm with Emil Praslik, AMU, Win God Extraordinaire with the ELR stuff. Morning. Good morning. I'm going to let you know I'm only at 72% after last night, so I might be a little... Well, I'm going to let you do most of the talking. Okay. So how's the show going so far? Uh, really good. We've got a lot of traffic here at the booth. Um, it's been pretty busy for us. Yep. Um, a lot of people come by to look at our new products, which uh, we're really excited to, about. I think this has been a much better show already than last year. It seems like the, it, it's a better products coming around. It, it seems like seems like a lot of booths cleaned out and so I think it's a good job but let's talk your new product line um, the long-range hybrids and stuff yeah so we're I'm pretty excited you know I'm a shooter Frank mm -hmm. you know um, so for, for me as a long-range shooter anytime that we get uh, a new bullet and a new uh, a new capability we're I'm pretty excited about it so we've got our new long-range hybrid target line and so right now we've we we pushed out uh, a two two three bullet, mm -hmm. a six mil bullet, a six five bullet, a seven mil bullet, and two thirty cal bullets within about the last three months. Yep. Um, and so, and what the long range hybrid target line, well, how it differentiates, is what we've done is we added some uh, some material forward farther into the nose, which uh, shifts the center of gravity forward yep. on a bullet, and we are. And then our engineers down in, in Arizona at the Burger Factory have figured out a way to point bullets at the factory. Nice. And this has been something that I have been, you know, jumping up and down like a monkey <laughs> since I got here. Yep. Uh, can we try to do this? Uh, there's other people that, uh, that tip bullets. And when I say tip, I mean close the meat plot, close the nose of the bullet. And that does two things. You know, there are people that, that point up or tip their bullets aftermarket, you know, right. uh, by themselves with like, with the tools with and, tools and yeah. dies. And uh, what that does for you is two things. So first, the more pointy a projectile is, the higher ballistic coefficient it has. Right. Um, then the other part is unifi unifying the tips of a bullet, making them all look the same, improves your ballistic coefficient consistency. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ballistic coefficient is a really tricky thing. People use it in marketing. Uh, uh, shooters try to use it for uh, 
prediction and right. solvers and everything. So and it's fluid. And it and it is fluid, right? So what 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 I think is that sometimes what gets lost in the noise is is ballistic coefficient consistency. Um, I mean, I would actually rather have and how we measure. We know how to measure it now because we have radar. Right. Uh, you know, five six years ago that really wasn't commonplace in the industry, but now it is, you know. Mm -hmm. We have a radar, other bullet makers in the industry have radar, Doppler radar, yep. and now, now we can look at these projectiles out to 1,500 yards and beyond. And what you see, once you start measuring bullets in flight, is not only the coefficient of drag at all the different velocities, but you also see how much that drag varies from bullet to right. bullet. So you shoot one bullet, and you're like, wow, that thing's great. It has a 0.3 G7 BC. And then you shoot the next bullet, and it says 0.306. You shoot the next bullet, and it says 0.297. And you shoot them, and if you make an average of it, fine, you have an average BC. Right. But what get lost is your variation, if it's 2%, 3% of that BC in flight, you know, now with the proliferation of like, Loading things and got you know guys have the auto tricklers and mm -hmm. RCBS has yeah, that Prometheuses and all, all that kind stuff. Of stuff. I mean, it's not hard for the reloader at home to load within a kernel of powder, right? And a lot of people are doing that. Absolutely. So everyone's trying to get you know standard deviations down to four or five feet per second. Mm -hmm. But if you launch that bullet in flight and you have a two three percent ballistic coefficient variation in flight, then yeah. you, you you essentially have taken all that hard work. And it's just like if you have a bullet with an extreme spread, if your ammo has an SD of the, like your SD's big again, 15 which, or 20. Yes. Yeah, it's big they're, again. They're, they're measuring it at the muzzle, right? and the BC's not kicking in until downrange. Right. And now that's where your variation just grew again, where you think you got a great SD, but because that bullet you picked isn't consistent, like yep. you're saying, well, now the reality is you're, you may not have a velocity SD, but you have a bullet SD. That's exactly right. Excellent. And so all these new long-range hybrid target bullets, what we found is um, due to some of the, the design change and also the tipping operation that we have and how we do, the they're calling it MRT or me plot reduction technology, okay. how we're doing it in the production line, um, the BC variation is less than 1% on all these bullets. Wow, yeah. And that's, I mean... Like this, for example, the new 7mm uh, 190 grain, uh, that one, the, when we did the test, we shot the video, mm -hmm. and we were just testing in for the video, and it was half a percent of BC variation. Wow. And then, now was Jeff telling me that one had even a higher BC than the 195? It does. Okay. So, uh, and that, again, that's because of closing, closing the up the tip. So there's your result. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, and and you know, and and the the ballistic coefficients that we report on our on the if you look at a box of burger, or if you look on the website and look at the BCs, the number that we give you is an average BC in flight. Okay. So from basically from three thousand feet per second down around fifteen hundred feet per second. Okay. It's an average BC. You know, as as you know. If you measure BC at high velocity, it will report a higher ballistic coefficient right. than at low velocity. So instead of giving the shoot shooters a 200 yard or a muzzle velocity BC, we, we endeavor, you know, Brian Litz comes up with all the BC data for our bullets. Right. And that's in-flight testing. That's the number that gets put on the box. And he's pretty diligent about that. So, 
But that's a number that a guy can plug right into his solver and get and pretty not play with it. and not play with it and get pretty close to prediction. Yeah. And because of the consistency of bullets from lot to lot, you shouldn't have to do a lot of truing. And the reason why guys have to true some so much sometimes is again, it's that variation. Yeah. I and mean, even like run out, people want to get rid of that because yeah. that creates that a little elliptical swirl, and that's going to mess with the BC. Yes. So, and so anyway, the the long range hybrid target bullets, it's. Uh, it's a, it's a really big achievement for us. And the way that that tipping operation goes, that Meeplaw reduction technology, all the bullets get the same amount of tip. What people will notice when they, when they buy a box of these bullets and they open them up is that all the tips look almost exactly the nice. same. And I'm really interested in your 85.5 for yeah. the Valkyrie. Because yes. I think that's going to be the perfect pairing for your weight and speed for that cartridge. And I'm just having such great luck with it. Um, so well, that's what we targeted that bullet for. Nice. Was for the you know heavy for caliber mm -hmm. two two three bullet for two two four Valkyrie, and you know the 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 guys that want to shoot two two three Remington at long range, and they have they have the ability to shoot longer than magazine yep. length. You know, uh, it's a great projectile for that. And then yesterday I ordered a Gardner. 6GT, mm. so you got the 109 now. Right. So, so I'm gonna have to load that because there's nothing factory for the GT, so you go right to the 109. And that, and that 109 is a, is a pretty nifty little bullet. Mm -hmm. um, it's got an average BC of like a point, I uh, can't remember the, the number off the top of my head, but it's like a 294. I was gonna say, it almost looked like it was 0.6 of yeah. G1. Yeah, I mean it's a mm -hmm. and it's an it's it's extreme and the other thing is all the test targets they're they're shooting very well. Yeah. And all these bullets they're kind of their parent bullet is so the 109 the parent bullet is the 105. Mm -hmm. And so if your gun stabilized the 105 and shot it well, the 109 is about the same overall length. Yep. Same thing with the 190 and the 180 180 hybrid 184 hybrid. So you don't really need really fast twist rates right. to stabilize these new bullets. Well, and and I, I don't. You guys may not follow it that much, but I've been doing a lot of the gain twist. Okay, mm -hmm. I have like six or eight of them now, and including six millimeter. I, my Valkyrie is a gain twist, uh, and I find with the bullet weight stuff, it's much more forgiving. Huh. And so I can play around that way, and the barrel doesn't care. So if I want to try this one or try that one, they work. Yeah. And even um, somebody with the Valkyrie, he had a case of the, the bad stuff, the one early on that wasn't shooting in anybody's gun. And he's like, I have a case of this. There's one box out. It didn't work in my rifle. I said, all right, let me have it. I'll take it. And I put it through not my semi-auto, but my bolt-action gain twist Valkyrie. Shot lights out. Hmm. Because that twist doesn't care because I'm, I'm, I'm starting you know a little slower and then I'm speeding it up, but I'm only doing that three-quarter gain. And I'm finding it just loves all your stuff and what's going on. Um, the big one is is like my uh, 260. So I can do a 130 load, and then I can do a, a 136 uh, hand load that I have. They zero in the same place. Mm -hmm. And you don't see the variation until the BCs kick in. Right. And it's just, as, it's great. And it's like, it's these unintended consequences in a positive way. Uh, I think with the gain twist, and again, right. we were talking with Tracy Bartlin and stuff about that, and he loves it too, you know, he sold on it, and, and so. I mean, one, one thing that, that sometimes you get with uh, tight twist barrels is, uh, you know, we, there's lots of benefits for having tight twist, mm -hmm. um, but there are some of the negative effects of it are 
if there is variations in the bullets, yes, you see them more. They're more pronounced. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll you'll have more dispersion with a with a tighter twist because you're seeing all the eccentricities in that bullet. Um, that's you know, if 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 you ever come down and, and visit the factory and walk through. One I want to come to Arizona to yeah, do the 22 center. I, I love to love mm -hmm. to host you down there. But one thing that if you go by and watch the guys testing our jackets, mm -hmm. and they test for total indicated runout of the jacket wall to three ten thousandths of an inch. Wow, yeah. And it's usually below that. The guys try to get around one to one and a half ten thousandths of an inch of total runout. So you have a dial indicator. Mm -hmm. They put it on a little mandrel. They spin it, and that needle doesn't move. Right. And that's why. The, the burger bullets, you can spin them fast, spin them slow, and dispersion doesn't really change on that. But the, if a jacket wall thickness varies too much, you see it. And maybe a gain twist does help that right. and you know, sort of mitigate that effect. And, and, and this is the part where, it, it, just like you're explaining, and, and maybe you could talk about it more with your Doppler, do you, are you doing it sort of in, in the mock on paper when you give it to the end user, or are you looking at it and saying, oh, we measured it to 1,500, but we brought it back to an 800-yard BC? Are you doing anything like that internally, or are you just saying, oh, we're doing Mach 2.0 in sort of that way? So it's, uh, you know, <laughs> with Doppler, you, you know, uh, Brian developed some software mm -hmm. so that it, it interpolates the raw data and draws a curve. Okay. And so... You know, you can use that curve for a custom drag model if you have a device right. that can accept that. And it also just lets us get an average of that BC change and it lets us look at BC in different different phases. So in segments, you, right. Right, when you get that report, it'll say kind of like zero to 200, 200 to 300, 300 to 500, whatever. Okay. And so, I mean, if you wanted to, you could look at exactly where you wanted that BC, but what, what the easy the easy answer is you take an average BC right. down to, uh, you know, typically for us, it's about a thousand yards okay. um, for the projectile. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, for most projectiles, that works out to right around transonic. Mm, yes. And you know, and we endeavor to build bullets that are stable through transonic and into subsonic, so they remain predictable. And that's the ELR world. Yeah. Um, yesterday, unfortunately, Brian couldn't make this meeting. He had a, another one, but I got to visit with him yesterday. And uh, Tony Jamelli was here, and come from the Ohio 22 Center, and and I kind of you know posed it to Brian. I'm like. You're seeing the 22 guys go and, and take advantage of this resource. And he's gonna, with his mobile test center and giving you that custom drag model, I, I asked him if the ELI guys are chasing him as much. And it didn't seem to me like they were stepping up, but the 22 people are. And, and it's this weird little disconnect to me. It's, it's like, you got the ELR guys doing three grand yeah. and they're, they're bypassing this great resource you guys have with your Doppler and to get a number for your rifle and your load, and yet a 22 guy is chasing it. I, I you know, when we shot the, the uh, I, you know, I was helping coach the applied ballistics team down at the King Two Mile, mm -hmm. and they were shooting the 375 enabler basically in that rifle that they were manufacturing. Um, and they didn't really have time to train as a team, and they went straight off of the predictions. And we were within a target at all ranges. Yeah. But th I think the nature of ELR is it's so sketchy mm -hmm. because no matter what, once these once you get out past three thousand yards, just the dispersion, the overall group size, right, makes it 
there's it, there's not a lot of it's not very deterministic. Just and, because and you guys stuff. are the I, I, the elite teams in ELR, and yeah. even you're like it's a little so, bit of luck. And what it, it, absolutely <laughs> it is, and and people that tell you it isn't probably aren't telling you the truth. truth. And I also think that because of that, guys are they want to like it's almost like they've gone back to the old school way of like, hey, we're going to go check our dope at all these ranges and write it down. That's what I do. I advocate that every day. Right. You and I, I do too. Yeah. And that's what a lot of the EL, so the, the bigger ELR mm -hmm. teams that have more resources, that the guys have more free time or whatever, before the King of Two Mile, they were all shooting at distance and like checking data. Right. Um, because the bullet doesn't lie. Yeah, exactly. Know, as Leave we the say. bullet. I mean, I, you, you've seen me down there, and, and I do the media and take pictures and right. stuff. But I always spy on you, particularly. I have pictures of your sketches. You know, you're holding in your hand, and, and you on the spotter. So I'm kind of like gauging what's going on, and, and, and it's it's important for me to look at like your guys. You know, the applied ballistic team. You know what David Tubbs doing, his his group, and and that kind of stuff, and, and to just see. And it, it's very similar. Yeah. You know, so it, it's not like a big variation. David's not doing something insanely different than what you're doing. But it's just to learn from the masters and to w sit back and watch them is such an education for people. So if they do have that ability to go to like a King of Two Mile and just watch, yeah, there's, there's things to learn from standing on that line. Yeah, I mean, all those ELR matches, I mean, they've mm -hmm. really started to proliferate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, there's not a lot of throughput in these matches. Yeah. You know, there's usually one or maybe two teams can shoot at one time. So there's a lot of, quite a lot of downtime. And yeah, and you can learn an awful lot just by watching somebody else shoot. Yeah. Um, you know, spotting is difficult, and uh, which is why people have, have kind of migrated towards really heavy bullets. But we've got a, you know, we've got a 407 grain solid in 375 and a 379 grain solid in .375. Nice. And they're both great bullets. Um, you know, they were designed around uh, the the cartridge that Brian designed, the yep. 375 enabler for a government program, mm -hmm. um, and they're good projectiles. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, but they there's take no negatives. There's a lot of work to making that. Uh, I'll just tell you that <laughs> if people look at mm -hmm. the cost of and all the bullets in that space, whether they're um, you know the cutting edge or, or Alan Warner's bullets right. or our bullets, and you people look at them, you look at that price point. There is there's a reason. There's a <laughs> shitload of work that goes into yeah. making that bullet, like more than I ever expected. Right. I'm not a bullet maker, you know, <laughs> but I go and I look and I'm like, holy crap! The the everything from the the mm -hmm. surface finish and everything, every surface has to be perfect. Right. Um, they're hard to make, and that's and why that's why the price is so yeah, high. But they they're, really they're worth it. I mean, when yeah. you, when you push them out there, and so just kind of back up with that BC yeah. stuff. Because you do get a lot of the, the, the average guy out there who thinks the, the number on the box is marketing hype. Yeah. And while back in the day there might have been a certain amount of truth to that with some people, like you are saying, with everybody running Doppler, with everybody doing this stuff, it's just that's your average for what you guys did. Yeah. You're going to be plus or minus something, but yeah. don't look at it as someone's lying to you. And that's that sort of old wives tale that goes back or, you know, that 1978 mentality kind of needs to go away today. Right. And, and I, I think I, I, I mean, in in industry, uh, there's so many people measuring uh, bullets now with mm -hmm. Doppler. Um, and there's some good, you know, second source information that guys are testing bullets and sharing information back and forth um, that 
Yeah, the numbers are out there. I don't think that people in the industry are uh, intentionally misreporting right. ballistic coefficients, um, but you have to really get into the weeds and find out where that manufacturer is telling you they're measuring the ballistic coefficient. Because everything looks great at 300. Right, and, and, and some, just by legacy, mm -hmm. some people, because like, you know, if you're a marketing guy, you're like, hey, we've always reported a 200 yard BC, so we're not gonna change it now. Um, because it, the the customer's gonna right. think, they look at the box and the number changed, and they're like, what you the You did heck? something wrong. You, exactly. Yes, yeah, what uh, happened? Right, I mean, it, BC is great, but, you know, small groups hit targets. Mm -hmm. Small groups win matches. Um, and at the end of the day, one or two inches or three inches of wind drift is not as important as overall group size on the target and consistency of your bullet. And that's a great point because I had this argument with going with some guys who try to push a little too heavy of a bullet for where they can get speed wise. And the guy's going, but the wind, but the wind, but the wind, I go, it's point two. Right. So why not put that speed back and you're only gonna hold point two more for wind you're, you're, it's not a negative. Right. It, it's so small. Think about the consistency and think about what's going on that you can get what a different node may be or something like mm -hmm. that. And don't always go for the heaviest bullet because you think that's going to translate to something when your rifle's not capable of pushing it to its efficient point. The, the number one reason why guys miss targets is because they misjudge the wind. Yes. It's not because the bullet is yep. their, their bullet BC was 3% less than another guy's bullets BC. It's, you know, working on your own skill set. And I borrowed from you and I give you credit every time, the pro side and the amateur side of yes. a target. Yes. Uh, I, that is such a great visual to say, to split your target in half and to say you got the wind coming in from the left, that left side of the plate is your pro side, yep. the right side is your amateur side. And where do you put the groups in by just bringing that terminology into our classes, because we have a lot of wind on my range. I'm sure. And I have the xylophone targets for wind, yeah. but we also, when we started talking about this after you know seeing what you were doing at the Precision Rifle Expo, it guys will then, like when we do the IPSC plates or something, they'll, they'll, they'll shoot their group, they'll get their shots on target, hit waterline, everything's good, and then they'll turn around and they'll go pro side. Right. You know, That's awesome. it, and it really is. And, and yeah. I give you credit every time. And, and I think it's a more of a flattery thing for me, like I said. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I think uh, something I've been talking a lot about um, with like some military guys, and uh, this is kind of a rabbit hole, but I'll, I'll throw this out to you. Mm -hmm. um, I've been doing a lot of research into wind gradient. Yes. And um, there are some formulas that you can manipulate. There's a power law formula. It's a pretty easy formula to run. But I've I've done a couple I've done some modeling on this, and I think what again a pro side and amateur side issue is people fail to take into consideration the nature of wind gradient, which is you know the wind will increase in speed yep. farther away it gets from the ground. Less resistance from the earth, and it depends upon the nature of the mm -hmm. ground. Yep. And uh, you know guys that know a lot about this are like. Uh, people that do wind power generation. I have a smoke jump, I'll email it to you. Yeah, that'd be I great. have a smoke jumper document. Yeah. Nothing but the wind. Right. Because it's yeah, your life. Or you'll die. Yes. Right, exactly. It, it, and, and, <laughs> right. and so I have one that has the wind gradients and has the effects of terrain and right. shows even, you know, a, um, a wooded area to a cut farmer's field right. and where your thermals are and what's going on. It's an 
excellent document that I found uh, just with Google. So with for like ELR, you know the you know a 375 shy tack or enabler shooting at 2,500 meters. Um, the the max ord of that bullet is about 80 meters in the air. Yeah. So about 150 feet or whatever that is. So uh, they, I'm sorry, like 240 feet. Yeah, 14 feet, feet for a wind gradient yeah. roughly. So, so you're going to go up how but, many wind gradients? But what I saw was by manipulating these, this formula, they have these sort of uh, roughness coefficients you can plug into the formula. So, you know, the smoothest coefficient is like, you know, a pond or mm -hmm. water, calm water, all the way to like built up areas, cities, things like that. So rough and broken terrain. So I, I modeled, so measuring in the wind at six feet and measuring the wind at uh, 18. Eight, eight, 18, or actually I, I did it for this ELR thing, so at 80 meters. Okay. Right. And the, the wind only increased about uh, 15, 20% on a smooth, on like regular, what, what over the pond, what we'll a, call it. Or, or, or over a lot of rifle ranges, looked at kind of just rolling, gentle hills, okay. right? But over broken terrain, like in Raton, you know, you've got all kinds of like ridges, and you're shooting yep. across multiple terrain features. The roughness gradient said that the wind could increase two hundred and ninety percent. Wow! Yeah, at max ord. So your bullets up in that high velocity zone and you can't see it. Mm -hmm. So what that really means, unless we, until we have ways of measuring the wind up there. Well, Trijicon, you're right here. Um, you, have, you have to take, you have to make some assumptions. And a lot, so that's where the experience part of wind reading comes in. Yep. You see a lot of wind on your range and you kind of know, all right, look, we're shooting. We're doing the 1425 and add on, two miles an hour add, to it. Right, exactly right. Yeah. You know, add some wind to that number for wind gradient. Again, that's the pro side and the amateur side. Mm -hmm. And uh, and before before we go, I, I do want to talk quickly. We have a new cartridge case okay. that we just introduced, and that's a large rifle primer. Um, 6.5 Creedmoor case. Okay. And we're that we're going to be loading our commercial ammunition in that. Uh, we have a small rifle primer case. Yep. Um, but what we found is uh, through feedback and also working with the government on the government 6.5 Creedmoor program for SOCOM, is that there can be issues sometimes with um, the semi-autos with the semi-autos yep. with the lar with firing pin protrusion and just the geometry of the hole in the bolt face that the firing pin goes through, if it's not a cl close fit or if they're using a large diameter firing pin, you can get some piercing of like some sm some small match. Primer, right. small that was the problem with Accuracy International Bolt Actions and then right. they had to go to the small firing pin. Right, right. so um, to kind of mitigate that, uh, that's why we think like the large rifle primer brass is a good option for guys. Mm -hmm. We still will have the small rifle primer brass. Yeah. Um, but you know, in our testing, I mean, there really isn't any major performance differences. And with the, the government side of things here, they're just all talking about the six fives and like semi-autos and stuff. So yep. it's pretty big, that semi-auto. That program's moving along mm -hmm. quickly. Um, and, and just one other thing too, because I was talking to Jeff uh, when we and were- And they chose a 140, a 140 burger yes. for that SOCOM program. Yeah, they did. Yes. Yeah, I was talking with Chris and, and so, um, Jeff was saying too, with the changes you guys made at the factory and, and, and all the stuff, for the people out there, production is much higher. There's no more of these big holes of where, you know, vapor, where did that bullet go? I'm, yeah, I mean, so, we're, we have a, um, uh, for the first time, we have like inventory of basically all the SKUs. Right, so you can get your bullet. You can get your bullet. We've got your bullets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're shipping to, you know, our major distributors yep. every day. 
those these bullets just like and we've you know we've learned from the past uh, before we released any of these bullets they're already were the whole first production run of 300 or 400 thousand yeah. was already made nice. before we made the press release which is awesome the, I mean and, and that's an important point that people know yeah. because there, there isn't those big peaks and valleys right so, I mean we all want to tell everybody we're excited about a new product yeah and but you you it's not fair to the consumer to tell them it's the number one rule in sales to yeah, violate yeah. you don't violate you can't sell something you don't have right right well, okay, let's wrap it up. Uh, get to our other meetings and stuff. I appreciate your time. This was a great conversation. I know everybody's going to love it. Thanks again, and uh, we'll talk again soon, man. And My hopefully, pleasure, Frank. I hope to see you on the range. Yes, sir. All righty. Bye-bye.